This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts and we have a very exciting episode planned for you today. We are going to be talking about quite a strange movie from the 90s that has been overlooked by something even more astronomical. So stay tuned for that. Yep, it's going to be 1996's Kazam, directed oh. by Paul Michael Glazer and the very strange story surrounding this movie. As we said before that sting of music, this week's episode focuses on 1996's kids-oriented genie movie, Kazam, which was directed by Paul Michael Glazer and stars basketball legend Shaquille O'Neal. So for a little bit of context, I have never seen this movie until now. And the reason that I was even aware of this movie is because of the horror spoof film Scary Movie that came out in 2000. So Ghostface calls up a character played by Carmen Electra, asks what her favourite scary movie is, and her response is, Kazam! You know the one where Shaq plays a genie? Ghostface's response is, that's not a horror movie. And Carmen Electra's character replies with, well, you haven't seen Shaq act. And I'm sure that's something we'll get into. <laughs> but first, let's give you guys a synopsis about the very wonderfully mystical Kazam. I nearly said the wrong title there. We'll get into that soon. <laughs> This uh, synopsis has been pulled from IMDb, as always, and there's only one on there, and it's written by Anonymous. So, putting a bit more mystery to this podcast. Being a lone young boy in the hood is dangerous and unpleasant. This is what Max experiences when he fools a gang of local toughs who cornered him at school. The gang finds out that the key he gave them is of no value in committing a robbery, and they chase him through the streets of his neighbourhood, bent on revenge. He tries to escape by slipping into the open door of an old warehouse, but they follow him there too. While running from them through aisles filled with all kinds of stuff, he bumps into an old boombox. By doing that, he manages to release Kazam, a genie who has been held captive for thousands of years. In order to stay free, Kazam must give Max three wishes. Now, this really does not sound like your conventional kids' movie. And in some ways it is, but in other ways it's really not. It definitely has a grittier edge to it, where I'm not sure young children would be pleased by this film in any way, and I don't think it's kind of mature enough for adults either. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It lands really awkwardly between lots and lots of different genres, and the audience that it's aimed at, really. Because, as you say, a lot of it is aimed at kids, but 
there's stuff in it that really isn't as well. There's a subplot about gangsters, and all the gangsters are a bit bumbling and foolish. But some of the implied nastiness isn't really for kids. And it's a rap movie as well, but it's not got enough rap music in to be a rap movie. So if you don't like rap music, there's too much in, in for you. If you do like rap music, there's not an awful lot in. It's got some rap stars in it. It's got Spinderella in it at one point, who I actually spotted and, and never remembered from seeing it the first time. So it's got some actual bona fide rap talent in there. And some of the music's pretty good. But like with the rest of the movie, it doesn't lean into any of its genre points at all. It's not a musical. It's not really a fantasy. It's not really a kid's movie. There's a bit of really clunky family drama in there as well that's grafted on. It's not really a family drama either. It's funny, but it's not funny all the way through. So it's not really a comedy. So I don't know what the bloody hell this movie is, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's um, very tropey at the beginning in terms of that typical 90s kids movie. Um, you've got like an overworked single mum. The main kid doesn't like her new boyfriend. He's a bit of a troublemaker, but he gets bullied by the older kids. So he's got all that and then something extraordinary happens to him that's life changing. But I don't know. I think that... <sighs> It's not as like magical or exciting as you think because the setting is urban and it's really gritty and it's kind of dark and it's dingy. It's not like what you typically expect from a family movie. And then, of course, we meet this genie and he's not exactly, you know, Robin Williams and Aladdin. It's not that type of thing that we're getting where it's like really magical. He kind of just fits in with the environment, I guess. and. It's fine at the beginning, but when Shaq does appear as this genie character and he begins rapping and he's kind of shouty, it's a bit unintentionally funny, I think. I remember very, very, very dimly when I rented this when it first came out and I didn't have much of a hook into what it was like now I mean I really didn't remember an awful lot other than the fact that I didn't enjoy it much I think with the passing of time and with my cinema taste having broadened out a bit I'm guessing that in the late 90s I was into very much indie horror and renting something like this probably was just on the spur of the moment thinking I'm going to watch something a bit different and probably didn't like it and probably thought yeah I'm going to go back to watching gore movies which probably didn't give the shake that it probably deserved. Having seen it again, I don't think it's a terrible movie. It's not great. Shaq's acting, he's all right in this. I don't think he's terrible. I mean, he's a basketball player first and foremost, and he knows where to hit his marks. He knows what the lines are. He's quite charismatic. Yeah, he's not the greatest actor stroke sportsman ever to tread the boards but i don't think he's that bad and i think the scary movie joke it's taking the piss out of it a bit but no he's all right in this i think what lets it down is the fact that the material's fairly weak and it doesn't really know what it wants to be it's probably better as an out and out kids movie but it's a 12 rated movie in the uk at the moment and 
I think from concept to production, it was something like three months. So this was rushed into production really, really quickly. Now, it doesn't particularly show, but in the fact that it's throwing a lot of things at the wall and hoping something sticks, that might be to do with the fact that it was conceived and in production in far quicker a time frame than you would normally get. And the director, Paul Michael Glazer, did some decent stuff. Did The Running Man, which I think is a great movie. The Running Man's great. Here, I don't think the direction's the problem. I just think that the way that they've taken the concept is the bigger problem. And apparently after this movie, Paul Michael Glazer hasn't directed a feature film. He's done lots of TV work, but he hasn't done any more feature films. So I wonder if his experience on this movie kind of tainted his view of directing features. I mean, I hope it didn't because it's a fairly innocent movie, but it does seem to be thrown together. Yeah, I get what you mean there. And going back to your point about it being a 12 uh, certificate. So um, we both watched this off Amazon Prime. It's available to rent for the uh, very small fee of £2.49 as long as you don't go HD. I was quite curious to find out if it was a PG on original release and it's kind of been re-looked at or whether it was always a 12. Because if it was always a 12, that's kind of murky in terms of who it's targeting. Because it has kind of, as we've talked about, mature themes in there, especially like the gangsters, like Max's ca- character, his father gets beat up as well. And there's, there's a, you know, a fair bit of violence in it. And, you know, as I say, is this like urban rap culture going on in there? So, yeah, again, it's not your kind of glossy, happy kids movie that, you know, you can typically gravitate towards. So I found that quite interesting in terms of its rating. I believe it's always been a 12. Having a look, having a look at the BBFC information, I believe it was always a twelve rated movie. So, yeah, it's interesting because it does feel like it could have been a movie that was originally cut for a PG and then restored to a twelve. Something like you know maybe not quite as extreme as something like Laser Blast, which clearly should never have been a PG in the first place. But I can see where you could make slight cuts to this movie and have it be a PG. But as you say, there's too much adult leaning stuff for it to really gravitate towards a proper kids movie so it does awkwardly sit between all these different genres and levels of sort of entertainment for specific types of audiences it doesn't really fit into any of them it's too kiddie for adults it's too adult for kids teenagers are going to look at it and go not touching that yeah, it just doesn't get the balance right. And it has some bizarre moments in it. One example is uh, Max wakes up and Kazam is lying in the bed next to him and suddenly just puts his hand over his face. And Max's response is, get off me, you pervert. And by that point, you're thinking, um, yeah, this is awkward. What, what kind of movie, you know, what is this? Um, who is this aimed at? Because I can't imagine them getting away with that in a kid's movie. But then older movies you know did push the boundaries a lot like we're in a different kind of society now where not that I like to use this word too often but it's that kind of like woke society we're in now and more aware of things where you wouldn't necessarily put that kind of element into a film now and then there's this moment that happens with no explanation where Max and Kazam are separated at this point and Max is desperate to make a wish because his father's been beat up and he's shouting for Kazam. Kazam is in a restaurant looking into this glass 
and Max suddenly appears from this glass and just like comes out on the table. And again, it's it's just very odd. And then there's like the rap and one of the probably most famous lines from one of the rap numbers in this is let's green egg and ham it, which is of course from Dr. Seuss. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's in there, like again, no there's no real context for anything in this film. It, and in in the middle of it, they're by these kind of washing lines and then they just start rapping out of nowhere. And apart from the beginning where Kazam raps when he comes out of the boombox, there's no other kind of musical sequences that would kind of be in a musical format. There's obviously the stage bits, which, which obviously that you can understand a bit more because it's set in this club. But these these random things that happen in it, it's, it's just very jarring because you've gone from one scene that is kind of basic to something just really outlandish within, you know, two seconds. I like the fact that they don't sort of lapse into the accidental wish thing where the kid will say, oh, kind of, I wish something would happen just by accident. And they, they establish that real pretty quickly to say, you know, we're not having accidental wishes here. So there's specifically things that he has wished for throughout the movie. So it does have some positive points. And the effects are reasonably good for this sort of thing. But again, it's it's kind of one of those movies where... You think that the original idea may have been pretty good, but whatever ended up on the screen might not have fit the original vision because it does seem to be really slapdash and they throw things in just hoping that it'll work and it jumps from genre to genre without being very convincing in any of them. It's kind of got a sort of moralistic ending and everything works out okay. But even that, I mean, at one point, you know, the bad guy pushes the kid down a lift shaft. I mean, this is in a 12 rated movie and it's not done with any sort of comic effect. I mean, this is kind of some guy just shoving this kid down a lift shaft and you think, God, that's a bit much. Yeah, there's very mean-spirited moments in this film, even from the beginning where he's getting chased by the bullies and it like, you know, it, it doesn't hold anything back for sure. And then, of course... To obviously give spoilers away, Kazam defeats the villain and uh, there's a kind of a cheesy demise for this villain. He is uh, transformed into a human basketball and then dunked down the uh, lift shaft. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have something with Shaqin, you're going to have to have him dunk something or somebody at some point. Uh, for, for some reason, I couldn't remember the basketball bit in this and, and I can't understand why because that would have been the bit that stuck out because it is, as you say, so bizarre in terms of having a villain get his comeuppance. But it's just one of a number of really strange decisions in this movie. And I can't think what people who've... Well, I mean, you've obviously just come to this fresh. I guess yeah. that people who are of that kind of age, sort of 12-year-olds, I can't imagine what they would think if they were presented with this today. I mean, they'd probably laugh it off the screen, which is a bit unfair because I don't think it's a terrible movie. I don't think I'd go out of my way to recommend it to anybody, but I had a better time with this than I thought I was going to. Save for the fact that Max's mum, played by Ali Walker, who's really great in pretty much everything, is absolutely wasted in this movie. She is given nothing to do with this movie 
it's a typical sort of Hollywood bit of Cassie. It's like, yeah, she'd be great in this. Oh, what are we going to give her to do? Oh, nothing. She's going to be his mum. She's going to be a bit concerned for him. But the plot's going to really give her the sum of absolutely F all to do. Uh, apart from at the end to sort of worry on the sidelines. And to be part of that subplot where she's dating this fireman. But even that's not satisfactorily done. Because it's set up to be kind of a big plot point in the first act of the movie. And then they hardly mention it for the rest of the movie. It kind of comes in at the climax. But but between the start and the end, it's dealt with sort of very briefly. And it doesn't have really any effect on the plot whatsoever. No, because you'd think that maybe Max would wish for something to happen to his uh, prospective stepdad or something, because clearly there's angst going on there at the start, which, as I say, the setup was fine at the beginning. It just got more bonkers as it went on. And yeah, as you say, like the mother character is basically a plot device. Like She doesn't really get to do a lot in this. And as you say, apart from panic at the end, and have a bit of conflict with her ex-husband, who um, hasn't been on the scene in 12 years and has suddenly come back into their son's life and then of course there's just the whole thing where Kazam can't make anyone fall in love because I think there's a hint that Max wants his mum and dad to get back together so everything will be right again for him but it obviously doesn't work like that and I guess that kind of feeds into in the 90s where they try to push the narrative in films like following Mrs Doubtfire that parents being separated that's fine as long as the parents like love the child so it has that that thread running through it as well yeah, again, um, as I, whenever I watch movies aimed at kids, like now, I try and put myself in the headspace of what how I would have felt about this if I was the appropriate age. And if I had been 12, again, like yourself, I was getting into horror movies by that age, um, obviously watching things that were not appropriate for me. But it's that awkward time where some things are either too adult or too babyish. So you need to get that balance. And I think you'll gravitate towards more mature themes in films. And there's always that whole forbidden thing of watching an 18 rated movie when you shouldn't be. So you'd rather take that over watching something that is appropriate for your age. Again, I, I don't know how I, felt, I would have felt about this. I think if I was younger than 12, I would maybe have accepted it a bit more, but I think elements of it would have bored me. Like, I just don't think there's enough hold a younger child's attention yeah i mean there's a big chunk of the middle part of the movie which all centers around this master tape of these songs that everybody's trying to get hold of and well for starters it really doesn't work as any sort of suspense setup but also you kind of think well who's that aimed at because you as you say kids are going to get bored of that sort of thing where it's kind of the sort of criminal element coming in but it's not really what the movie's about. It's supposed to be a fun movie about a genie and a kid that suddenly gets a chance to have three wishes granted. But they're just trying to bolt on bits of plot that are from other weirder movies. And it's just trying to have its cake and eat it, this film. It's a shame because if they'd have stuck to the more fantastical elements, I think this would have worked a lot better. But... You know, go figure. They just wanted this to be a multi-genre movie and none of the genres in this movie actually work, really. Having said that, considering I'm saying that nothing works in this movie, I wasn't particularly bored by it. I thought it was okay. I probably wouldn't rush back to see it. But I do 
remember not liking this at all when I first rented it. And this was the first time I'd seen it since the late 90s. And I was expecting an absolute car crash. Uh, and I didn't get one. It's it's not great, but it hangs together. And as I said before, Shaq's performance, it's okay. It's not Olivier level. It's not meant to be, but he's fine. Yes, he's a bit shouty, but he can rap in a fashion. He's okay in the dramatic scenes. He can handle comedy reasonably well. It's fine. It's just not the sort of movie that fires up anything in me sort of particularly passionately. It's okay. It was there. I watched it. I thought it was fine. That was it. Yeah, I think Shaq does give an entertaining performance in this. As you say, it's because of his shoutiness and kind of awkward way of saying lines at times. Yeah, that just kind of makes it, as I say, unintentionally comedic. So um, I'm just on the IMDb trivia, and the fact I'm going to give about this movie is, despite the fact that this film was a critical and financial disaster, Shaquille O'Neal has not expressed regret for his involvement. He said in a 2012 interview, I was a medium-level juvenile delinquent from Newark who always dreamed about doing a movie. Someone said, hey, here's $7 million. Come in and do this genie movie. What am I going to say? No? So I did it. Exactly. So at least he's kind of upfront about what, you know, drew him to appearing in this film. And again, with a lot of movies, they're just jobs to people. And yeah. we, we forget that as um, audiences sometimes. We, we just don't seem to appreciate that um, these people are just doing a job and sometimes the quality of the product isn't going to be you know outstanding sometimes it is but you know at the end of the day this is what's putting food on these people's tables and yeah. you know buying them expensive houses and uh, expensive cars and all that and you know in getting fame and recognition and if that's what somebody wants in life you can't put them down for that really absolutely you shouldn't be ashamed of this movie at all it's perfectly serviceable this flick yeah, it's not going to be on anybody's top 10, but I can think of far worse ways of spending your time than watching this movie. And there are other sportsmen stroke actors that gave less convincing performances than Shaq. I'm not going to smear them by going into who they are on this podcast because that's not fair. But yeah, it's, it is what it is. It's not terrific. It's not going to win any awards. But... It's there. Some people will find it entertaining. I think that it kind of veers in and out of being entertaining. The middle stretch is a bit of a drag, I have to say. But you know what? There's a lot of movies where the middle section is a bit of a drag. So anybody that's kind of coming with the sort of worst movie ever slant on this, as usual, I will just say, if you think this is the worst movie ever, I can I can show you some movies which which you will definitely come out of thinking no that is the worst movie ever not Kazam yeah I was a little apprehensive when I could see the really low ratings for this film before getting I thought oh my god what am I going to be watching now that literally went through my mind but actually it held my attention I was not thinking this is absolutely god awful and as you say I have seen a lot worse and I've seen a lot worse for the purpose of this podcast, believe you me. And if you've been listening for a long time, you will know some of these titles. Yeah. <clears throat> Tulpa. Yeah, Tulpa, we're looking at you. <laughs> 
but yeah, on IMDb, Kazam holds a 3.0 rating out of 10, and then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 5% tomato meter and 20% audience score, which again is really kind of cruelly low, I think. I think this movie should have about a 5 out of 10. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's a, not that bad. It's it's misleading to make people think that they, they're going to see some absolute shit show. And it's not what this movie is. It's just a very strange movie that just does not hit the right tone. That, yeah. That's all that's wrong with it. It just doesn't know what it wants to be. I'm not surprised that it's got a 5% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I imagine that most critics just took one look at this and thought, if I say this is any good, my, my reputation's in the toilet, basically. This was never going to get the attention of any critics. The audience score, 20%, slightly harsh, I think. But again, it's what you're looking at in the movie. If you're going in expecting a certain thing for this movie, you're probably not going to get it because it spends so much time hopping between different styles and different genres. If you're looking for a straight-up kids movie, it's not that. If you're looking for something a bit more risque, it's not really that either. If you're looking for a lot of Shaq-style basketball antics, there's very little of that. If you're looking for it to be a musical rap movie, it doesn't really touch on that very much either. So if you're going in with a very specific idea of what you want from the movie, it's probably not going to deliver. But if you're just going with an open mind, I mean, yeah, you're not going to come out of it thinking it's the greatest movie you've ever seen. But it's all right. It's fine. I mean, as I've said, it does what it does. It's interesting that it jumps about so much. So if you like that sort of movie, you're going to find it entertaining. If you don't, you might find it a little bit frustrating because you're just going to think, oh, it's too like a kid's movie now. Oh, where's it going now? What's the stuff with the criminals? If you're a bit irritated by movies that just kind of hop about and don't come down on any specific point of the plot, then this is just going to annoy you. But it was actually one of the things that interested me. I didn't think it worked. But it kept my attention because I thought, where the hell is this going to go next? It's like just a schizophrenic movie. It's like it's one thing, then it's another, then it's back to the the other thing. So it's interesting on that level. But I guess if you're looking for something to sit down with the whole family and have a good time with, maybe this isn't the one to pick. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely better family movies out there from the 90s that you can definitely choose out of this. But if you think back to our episode on Three Men and a Baby that we recorded last year, that episode was a dual review where it was a movie review and then a discussion about an urban legend. And this is what kind of what you're going to get from this week's episode because Kazam has a whole other multi-dimensional story attached to it that I think has kind of blown both our minds so we have a lot to get into so stick around and uh, hope you enjoy our discussion of a movie that Shazam allegedly ripped off I mean Kazam allegedly ripped off Shazam Kazam who knows Okay, we're back, and with some extra content in this episode, not only are you getting the review of Kazam, but you're getting a discussion about the strange phenomenon 
surrounding Kazam? Or was it Shazam? Or was it Kazam? I don't know anymore. <laughs> so I'm guessing by now, unless you've been living under a rock, that you are aware of the phenomenon of the Mandela effect. So within the last decade, the Mandela effect has been something that has kind of played with people's minds. Like anything that you thought was a certain way will be challenged and make you question everything. This phenomenon started because a paranormal researcher named Fiona Broom coined the term Mandela Effect. This was because she had remembered that Nelson Mandela had died in the 1980s in prison, when in fact he actually died in 2013. Now, I remember him dying in 2013, remember hearing about this, so I have no memory of hearing that he passed away prior to that. So, okay, you can kind of accept fair enough they might have got him confused with another public figure that died around that time um who was a sim similar person or something but this whole thing with kazam and shazam is on a whole other level and i think this is the most insane mandela effect i have ever come across and i've only come across this recently but this mandela effect has been around for a long long time I believe it's mostly prominent in America. I think it's affected more American audiences than it has UK. I've spoken to many friends about it and they don't recall this movie. So I think we're just going to get into it. So this whole hysteria behind Shazam began around 2009 when a Yahoo user asked about this movie and they said something along the lines of, hey, do you remember this movie called Shazam starring Sinbad? So most of you know Sinbad is a comedian slash actor and for UK audiences he is probably best well known for um, starring in the Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas movie Jingle All The Way which we have covered on this podcast and as you know when we covered that episode we had no awareness of Shazam by that point so that's why it's not even mentioned in that episode. So people believe the film was allegedly released around 1993 or 1994. So we're talking two, three years before Kazam's release in 96. And there's a bit of a hazy discussion on whether this movie had a theatrical release. Some people remember seeing it in theatres. Some remember seeing previews for it in theatres. Was it just a VHS rental? A lot of people recall renting the movie watching it with their parents or watching it at sleepovers and then others remember it being a Disney Channel TV movie. One account that I read was a girl who had just um, stumbled upon watching it at her grandmother's house on Disney Channel. The grandmother comes in and wasn't too happy about her watching it and the reason being was she'd noticed Sinbad was in this film and he was associated with more adult comedy material so she was like, oh, you better not watch this. Then realised it was a movie aimed at kids. They watched the movie. So that is just one example of what people remember about this. When people are told that they are probably just confusing it with Kazam and the fact that Sinbad hosted this uh, television marathon where he was kind of dressed like a genie and um, it was a Sinbad the Sailor marathon, which would, of course, have that similar thematics to Aladdin People, you know, seem to think that and then they turn around and say, no, I remember Kazam coming out and being annoyed 
because it was a blatant rip-off Shazam, and then they compare it to when Ants and A Bug's Life came out because <laughs> it's Hollywood having those dual movies, and then I think it was like Armageddon and Deep Impact, two similar movies coming out at the same time. People cannot really explain what happens in this movie as such. It's just basically a brother and sister, which I'll get into soon because there's a lot of question marks over who played this brother and sister. And we actually have like quite well-known actors spoken about in terms of this. And the, the key scenes from this film are apparently the genie fixing a broken doll for the little girl and the f- film's finale culminating at a pool party. And it's also surrounding a single father and who the children want to like make happy again after the death of their mother. So that is the kind of outline people generally remember, but nobody can actually tell you really detailed information about it, which is, again, so interesting when a bunch of people, and I'm talking like probably hundreds of people that are literally adamant this, this film did exist. And before we get into some accounts and things like that, there was just a couple of things that I wanted to bring up. So Sinbad starred in a few children's movies uh, back in the early to mid-90s. There was a movie called Aliens for Breakfast. There was another movie called First Kid, and apparently the trailer of Kazam played before that movie on VHS. Something I find particularly interesting, when the 2019 Disney live action version of Aladdin came out where you have Will Smith playing the genie. I'm wondering if that even triggered a false memory or contributed to triggering a false memory in these audiences just because I think his performance is how people imagine Simbad playing the genie as well. And of course, traveling back to the 90s again, the 1992 animated Disney classic Aladdin had come out. So obviously, the idea of the genie as a fun-loving character was very much in the public consciousness, also voiced by a comedian, which was Robin Williams. So I think there is so many strange contributing factors here that have managed to create this false memory. But I just find this utterly fascinating. And as I say, it's blown my mind, and I just have to talk about this because... A whole movie that people remember doesn't exist. And I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird that there's such a mass hallucination about this non-existent movie. I mean, the Mandela effect does take effect in other movies in smaller ways. For instance, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, where people remember the line as Luke, I am your father. That's not the line. And the line in Silence of the Lambs, where Clarice Sterling goes to see Hannibal Lecter, and they um, remember the opening line of his has been, hello, Clarice. It isn't. It's good morning. So I can understand why people misremember things in small ways in movies. This is on a massively different level because it's people remembering something that clearly has never existed at all. And people will defend the fact that this is a real movie and it does exist and they've seen it. But clearly it isn't out there to the point where people get to the stage where they're saying, well, it was out there, but they've destroyed all the evidence of the movie. Now, in this point, you kind of think, well, why would they destroy a movie? Because it takes a lot of effort and time and money to make these things. Why would they suddenly just say, oh, that's Sinbad Genie movie? No, let's get rid of it. 
it's there, but we're not going to use it for anything. Let's just destroy it. And it's interesting about collective memory and it's interesting about people's inability to be proved wrong as well. I think in the last couple of decades, people don't want to be wrong ever. And they will go to inordinate lengths to prove that they haven't made a mistake. Whereas if somebody would just say, you know what, fuck it, I was wrong. There is no movie. It's not going to blot their entire life by them saying, you know what, I thought it was this movie. No, it's not. It's Kazam. It's the Shaq movie. I was completely misremembering it. But people get really, really, really defensive about this sort of stuff. When maybe perhaps they shouldn't be. Because it's not going to change civilization if they just say, actually, now I'm remembering it correctly. This movie didn't exist. Sinbad was in something else. But I understand why there were lots and lots of different events around at the time, which all fed into this movie being created in the minds of people. And interesting, like the first kid movie with Sinbad, the fact that Kazam played as a trailer before first kid. So you've got that direct link between the Shaq movie and the Sinbad movie. And that sort of thing, you can understand why people got confused that they'd rented it and they'd switched Shaq for Sinbad in some way. But it's a really weird one because the Mandela effect is normally quite small. This is massive. It's utterly insane. And I just can't stop going down the rabbit hole just to figure this whole thing out. And I, I'm just fascinated by people's accounts of all this. Another thing I came across was old newspaper articles someone had shared on Reddit. And actually, there was a brief description of Kazam where somebody had put Shaquille O'Neal and in brackets Shazam. Now, they must have just confused the title. That's, mm. you know, easily done. Yeah. Because I don't know why, but Shazam sounds a much more marketable title than Kazam. Because mm. even when I was discussing Kazam in the uh, previous segment, I was getting myself all tied up and confused. Because as I say, it's just, they're just so similar. And it's just, utterly just bewildering how a movie could just completely vanish that there'd be no trace of it you could understand maybe someone saw a tv movie many years ago it's never been aired since there's not a lot of information about it out there there might be say an imdb page like with a blank picture and just a brief cast and crew list but there's nothing for this movie and i just find it fascinating how people just will not accept that they're just confused and this didn't exist. As I say, I've been going down and down the rabbit hole and digging deeper, and I found a few accounts of people's experiences that I'm going to relay now, and we're going to chat about each one. And then following that, we're going to go into some people's explanations of how the film vanished and even more deeper conspiracies. So to start off with, I'm going to read this account from... Reddit user Eternally Emo with a zero on the end. I'm 34 and I remember this too. I also remember seeing a trailer for the new Sinbad movie with my best friend who was obsessed with basketball, so it was a must watch. As most things back then, it was like coming out next year or next spring or whatever. Fast forward to like six months later and my friend's dad was all, hey guys, that new basketball movie came out. You guys want to go see it? We were both like, yeah, finally Shazam with Sinbad. 
and the look of confusion on his face and ours when he was like, um, no, Space Jam? <laughs> <laughs> I still remember his face and ours, us trying to convince him he's wrong, him talking to us like we're dumb kids and we don't know the difference between Sinbad and Michael Jordan. My best friend, obsessed with the Celtics and basketball, was furious with him. Like, Dad, I know who Michael Jordan is versus Sinbad. We didn't believe him the whole way there till the movie started, and we were convinced he was misinformed. We spent the rest of that month talking about how we're not crazy to each other. I remember it was supposed to be Sinbad to all our friends, etc. About half of them agreed with us, and the other half didn't know what that we were talking about. But those kids also hadn't seen the preview that we and others had. I remember the feeling, too, of like, this is very, very wrong. Something is very weird here. Still bothers me. Always will. Kids are honest creatures by nature. Why would we lie and get so angry over it? Like when someone is accusing you of something you know you didn't do angry. And I also have a superb memory. Always have. It made me question so many things after that. It broke my own trust with myself. So years later, when I found out this was a thing, it relieved a lot of that anxiety for me. I know what I know, and I know Shazam was a thing with Sinbad. I know it was the first Mandela effect that I experienced, and it will stick with me until the day I die. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Certainly, the I know what I saw, but they clearly didn't see it. And the whole thing about Sinbad in a basketball movie. Now, they're crossing over all sorts of different movie projects there because I was kind of expecting it not to go to Space Jam there I wouldn't have confused it with the Michael Jordan movie and the fact that they'd seen the preview of it I mean they've got something incredibly confused there because the whole thing about going into a cinema and then seeing a preview and then misremembering the preview and then waiting for this movie to come out on the basis of a preview which you haven't remembered correctly and then going to see the movie that you haven't really remembered and think it's not the right one, and then getting to the movie and then thinking it's definitely not the right movie, and then trying to think back and say, well, where's the Sinbad one? And it doesn't exist. The thing surrounding this movie, it's just so weird. It's got It's caused more confusion than any single movie that I think has been played in the or not played in the history of cinema. You can confuse certain things or say, oh, this actor was in this movie and when he wasn't. But, you know, we're talking about entire movies and plots and cast and and this is kind of built up as well, rather than it being quashed immediately by saying, well, it wasn't a movie and these people didn't star in it and it was never it was never a project and it never came to be. And it's not like anything else that's out there. People kind of build on this, which is even stranger that, you know, it's like, well, I I definitely remember this about a thing that you couldn't have definitely remembered because it's not out there. It's weird. And I I think, again, as we've said before, people not having trust in themselves as well, but getting angry about the fact that they're being called into question. But I don't think they really are being called into question because just kind of saying... Is that is that really a movie? I don't remember that movie. I don't think you're accusing them of anything just by saying, well, did Sinbad actually star in this? I, I don't remember the movie. Again, I think people are, are a lot more defensive these days 
there's a certain and i think there's there's a there's a wider problem with that because without dragging politics and anything like that into it but just to briefly say that the fact that people nowadays will flat out lie and then just say well clearly didn't lie prove it and like even when you say well this this is clearly bollocks what you've just said they'll go oh no no it's not or in or in the very rare uh, occurrences where somebody will cop to it, they'll go, oh, well, you know, it was your interpretation of it, or, or I may have sort of misspoke. You don't lie anymore, you misspeak. And I think that's quite dangerous when people won't admit to mistakes or being wrong. Ultimately, that's quite a slippery slope to go down. And this is a weird hill to die on as well, I have to say. Definitely. And I think the reason I chose that specific account was because the connection with Space Jam. And I believe Space Jam did come out the same time as Kazam. Yeah, probably about the same time, yeah. So if Shazam was already a film by 1994, as many recounts, why did these people think, you know, with a two-year gap, that they were going to see the Shazam film? So yeah. there's a lot going on here. There's the basketball, so there's confusing, you know, maybe Michael Jordan and Shaq thinking they were going to see Kazam. Yeah. But again, they, they, they're they just not sure. And it's very interesting when people recount this from childhood as well, because everyone has childhood memories, but there's so much that when we're children, we don't remember as well as we do now. Mm. And a lot of memories can be built on what our parents have told us from a specifically from a very young age so it's very baffling so this next one i'm going to read um again i found very fascinating this is from a reddit user called barnyard nightmare it's about n-i-t-e not night as in it's night I had a specific conversation with my husband somewhere around 2012 slash 2013 before our eldest was born, about Shazam, among other movies from when we were kids. We were talking about movies we would like to share with our, at the time, unborn child and at the time, future children. My husband is one who remembered it the most, and he is head in the sand ostrich when it comes to any Mandela effects, messes with his worldview, and he doesn't handle it well, so he doesn't like to think about it, and dismisses it when I talk about it, even when it's in his face. My mum is the only one I can really talk to about any of this. I remembered a very vague plot, and the main thing I remembered was I watched it on the Disney Channel, because Simba did the Mickey ears with the wand during the commercial break and then folded his arms and smiled. Okay, so we've got this Disney connection, which again is interesting, because Kazam was distributed by Buena Vista Pictures, and it was actually, uh, I think, released by Touchstone. Mm. So again, Disney acquired the rights to Kazam. I think it was initially with Warner Brothers before yeah. uh, Disney took the film. And then, of course, you've got Aladdin, the genie, and you can definitely imagine the genie from Aladdin doing something like that during a commercial break. Now, I know there's a big difference between Sinbad, who's a live human and a blue genie animated character. But I'm just wondering, mm. because I always remember watching Disney Channel myself, like the wonderful world of Disney. And I can remember the castle and things like that. And Tinkerbell um, with like her wand touching the top of the castle. Like, I remember elements like that, but they could be, you know, a little bit hazy in my mind. So it's not far removed from reality to say that the genie could have appeared in one of those segments. 
that's yeah that's fair enough and you can track that one a little bit easier and you can see the confusion in that one because if you're remembering ad segments on disney the ad segment might have been exactly as she remembered it but just not with sinbad and she's conflating something else that had sinbad in with that ad break so you can kind of see where that would make her think that she'd seen sinbad in the ad break so I can track that one a lot easier. And uh, it's interesting that her husband is kind of the, what do you say, the ostrich head in the sand, you know, yeah. won't, won't be told that he's wrong. Whereas she's kind of, uh, there is a hint that she's saying like, you know, she's almost saying, well, I seem to remember it was this. But even the way she's telling it is like, maybe I'm not that sure. So that's a, that's a more interesting story. It's somebody who kind of thinks, well, maybe it happened, but, uh, you know, somebody might tell me differently. Whereas the husband is just like, well, no, I don't want to know because this clearly happened and I'm right. It's like film Twitter, basically. Film Twitter is like, it's got, it's got people on which is just, you know, what I say about a specific film goes and it's right. And there's no, there's no shift in my perspective. And if you say anything slightly different, then you're clearly wrong. You get these people who just will not be shifted in any way. Even if you presented them with evidence to say, well, look, you know what? I've got an IMDb. This clearly doesn't exist as a movie. Now, if it's not on IMDb and it's not on Wikipedia and there's no details about the movie or the cast or the plot, do you think that something like that would just disappear into the ether? Some people clearly believe it did, but I mean, I don't know. I'm basically a scientist at art and I I appreciate things like probabilities and stuff. So, So I'm very grounded in the fact that chances are this didn't happen i know some people want it to happen and some part of me wishes for them that it really did happen but it's strange how the mind will work for some people because you're building this alternate reality in which shazam exists now at the time shazam you know the recent shazam movie is the dc character so maybe at the time they might have wanted to call it shazam but maybe there was an issue with DC about the Shazam character. So they were kind of like, well, you can't really. Shazam is more, it's more connected with a sort of genie's spellcasting abilities. Shazam seems a better word, but they probably thought maybe we can't use Shazam. That might get us into trouble. Let's do something that sounds like Shazam, but isn't. So Kazam, that'll do. Kazam sounds a bit like it. But again, it's people who kind of will swear blind that this actually happened it's like i saw this and i remember this from my childhood but as you say childhood memories they do kind of get mixed up because you're a kid and things do get confused when you're a kid and you write about sort of parents uh feed into sort of tell you what you ha- what happened when you were a kid so it's all to do with narrators who might not be the most reliable and it's not an intentional thing on the part of parents or people who are remembering these things but it's interesting that when people are called out on it that they go into fight mode and it's like no no i definitely remembered this this is what happened yeah and going back to your point about them changing the title to kazam because of the dc rights that is not out of the realms of possibility i i think especially going relating back to that newspaper article where they had shaquille o'neal in brackets shazam Maybe that's what it was going to be called, but as you say, they changed it. I completely can buy that, and I can see where that may have contributed to the confusion. 
And the reason the um, accounts that I've chosen as well to discuss on here, because I think these are ones that have more interesting backgrounds and interesting stories to tell rather than just arguing, no, I saw this movie, this happened. Not any of the kind of more aggressive ones. Mm. I think these are the more yeah. interesting explanations because they're the ones that are thinking, this. I did not see this coming. I did not expect this film not to be there when I looked it up. And if you do type it in to Google Images, you will get some VHS, what I think are mock VHS covers and mock posters, because I think Simbad's head has been photoshopped onto some wrestler or something for one of them. When I showed it to one of my friends, she was like, yeah, that's like his like look from Jingle All The Way and stuff. So there's, yeah, there's definitely been some fan-made material out there, but nothing actually genuine. Because there's one with a tagline on it that says pure magic and another one's like family fun. And you can just imagine that being on any family movie from the yeah. 90s. It's just, it's just all there just to get you to rent or buy this movie. My next one, which is again, I find this one quite interesting because it's one based on just unintentionally stumbling across Shazam on TV. But again, this one is not Disney Channel. So again, this is diverting from other stories. So this is from a user called Bula Bula. I never watched the movie, but I know very well that it existed. Okay, I know everyone says Shazam came out in 96, but this was definitely from 98. Was it a straight-to-video or theatrical release? Question mark. Because this memory surrounds a VHS commercial. I don't know if it had just come out, but it was the first time I had seen any advertising for it but I didn't watch a ton of TV at home because we only had a few channels. I was in my friend's basement for the first time since her family had finished it. There was a new shaggy salmon coloured carpet and we were rolled out in sleeping bags on it. We were watching the Mr Bean movie where he ruins Whistler's mother, just called Bean. After the movie ended, my friend stood up and turned off the VCR and switched to Nickelodeon. We were all giggly from watching Mr Bean and we started making fun of every commercial really roasting the toys, the kids on the screen, the voiceovers, everything. A commercial for Shazam on VHS starts playing, and I want to be super clear that this was about a year and a half after Kazam had came out on VHS, which everyone had seen, and we started losing it laughing about what a rip-off of Kazam it clearly was, and I made a joke about how they wanted to make a sequel but couldn't afford Shaq. My friend's mom came down the stairs to do laundry as the commercial was ending, hearing our jokes, and I said, I bet it's a parody, and I zinged, I bet it's a Xerox. And my friend started impersonating Shaq using a coffee machine, which inevitably turned into Shaq Xeroxing his posterior and one of the other kids pantomimed pulling out the printed coffee from the machine and exclaiming, Sinbad? Have mercy, we were nine. My friend's mother got upset with the inappropriate joke and turned off the TV before Snick was about to start. When my dad picked me up the next day, I told him about our joke that got us in trouble, and he thought it was absolutely hilarious. For a good long while, we had a running joke that if something was a crappy copy of something big and successful, usually a movie, but the joke carried over into other aspects of life, my dad would squint at it for a minute and exclaim, Sinbad? I never watched the movie, but this was a seriously clear memory for me. I know Shazam existed. My dad and I used to make fun of Sinbad because of it. This is someone who's never seen the movie, but has like a vague memory of it just being there. That's amazingly constructed, that memory. Yeah. I mean, it's 
probably not how she remembered it, but the detail is pretty amazing, I have to say. And I guess that to people who hadn't seen either, well, you can't see Shazam, but if you've not seen Kazam or the supposed ripoff, that's quite a convincing story because it's not just a kind of an I saw it and that's it. It's got a location, it's got a party, it's got dialogue, it's got a specific thing that they took the piss out of in this ad. So that's on a completely different level because they've managed to create something that's actually probably better than the uh, rip-off sequel would have been. That's the weirdest one of the lot because remembering an ad for something that doesn't exist and then turning it into a joke about an ad that doesn't exist is very strange. Yeah, and it continuing like throughout the years, like that was her and her dad yeah. had a joke about it. Like if something similar cropped up, so that's something that really stuck with them. So that that again is one of my favourite accounts of this whole Shazam mystery. And then again, there's this other one from My Lids Mayhem, which says, first, I want to say I never saw the movie Shazam in any form. However, I did hear people talking about a movie called Shazam starring Sinbad in the early 90s. Again, never saw it, never looked for it, didn't even see a commercial. But if you asked me in, let's say, 1994, I would say, yes, I've heard of it. Fast forward a couple of years, and I saw a commercial for Kazam and thought to myself that it was just like Hollywood to grind a topic to death. In this case, genies. By this time, I had kids. And so I took notice of this kind of movie more than I would have several years prior. There was a brief moment sometime in the last 20 years when I heard of the app Shazam and thought that was odd. What is the relation to a genie? But never bothered to research it. It was not until I heard about the newest Shazam that I finally looked into it. Since I had never seen the movie with Sinbad, I was curious if there was any relation between the two. Obviously not. I cannot swear on anything that there was a Sinbad movie called Shazam. But I do remember hearing about it. I do remember wondering about it. And the whole thing is really bizarre. My point is that as a sceptic, I don't believe that the Kazam movie is what is throwing people here. I have no horse in this race, but I'm sure the two movies were at least a couple of years apart. Kazam came out in 96 and Shazam was easily 94 or earlier. My best guess on the topic is that someone confused some special that Sinbad was involved with. He regularly dressed in very colourful attire, not unlike a genie. Can't speak to the fez, though. At the very least, this Mandela effect has been going on for nearly as long as the Mandela funeral. If I had relied on my memory, I'd say both happened in roughly 1990, but I also don't believe the 80s ended until 92, and Bono (laughs) is evil. (laughs) Uh, I love love the end of that, Bono is evil. We're not going to say whether or not Bono is evil on this podcast. But uh, but the years as well, it's interesting that the years change for Shazam. It's 94 in some cases, it's 98 in some cases. It's probably around the same time as Kazam in other cases. So the timing of this mystical movie seems to move around depending on who is remembering it. And I agree, she's probably got no horse in this race at all. And it's the power of other people suggesting that it exists, I think, in this case that people have been talking about this and it's stuck in her mind and she's maybe added a little bit to it 
But it's that whole adage of if people talk about something enough, it actually, well, I, I wouldn't say it becomes true, but it does gain enough traction that you're questioning whether or not it is actually in existence. And in this case, she must have heard about it so much that she thought, well, it must be around in some form, even though I haven't seen it. So I think there's a fairly good explanation as to why she thinks it might still be around, because at the time she's hearing so much about it from other sources that if you're hearing that and you're not really up on movies, then you're going to think, oh, yeah, I remember people talking about that years ago. I must go and check it out. And then weirdly finding out that it's not there. I'm going to go off on a very slight tangent here, kind of relating to what this lady said and others have said about kind of remembering kids in school discussing it and people remembering it. So something similar happened to me, but I do have a complete conclusion to my story. When I was in school, I would arguably say I was around eight years old. It was a Saturday night. I was watching TV late with my grandmother. It was BBC Two, I remember that. And I just remember the beginning of this episode where it was about a girl and her mum. The girl had a, a China doll and there was this really creepy imagery, these ghostly bleeding images on a window in this small town. And I got a bit spooked, so I switched it off. But I remember this China doll thing. Now, when we were in school the following Monday, so many kids were discussing this. And then the kind of stories about this China doll, like, oh, it got burnt in the microwave and oh, it killed the girl's dad. There was all this like different conversation surrounding it. And then for years, it just bugged me because I never found out what this was and it bugged me and bugged me. So obviously, like I look at Child's Play, I then found a movie called Dolly Dearest. I was literally scouring the internet for any kind of explanation for this movie or episode I'd, I'd briefly seen and it, it freaked me out. And it wasn't until many, many years later I brought it up as an adult and then someone instantly says to me that was The X-Files. <laughs> and it was an episode called Chinga, written by Stephen King, weirdly enough. So I found it, I watched the episode, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. But it just goes to show how kids, like, you know, will talk about something in school, like, you know, kids love to freak each other out and, you know, tell spooky stories and that. And then I think this is just kind of another example of that. But I find that fascinating with Shazam, how kids remember talking about it in school and then maybe just it was a throwaway conversation and then years later it's kind of haunted these people in the sense of no I remember talking about that back in the 90s how is this not existing yeah I mean that's an interesting thing yeah and you're right kids will embellish things and kids will also make up the bits of programs that they haven't seen so for instance in something like that if it's a bit spooky and the kids are wanting to say, oh, yeah, I, I watched the whole thing. But in reality, their parents have switched it off and said, no, you're not watching this. Now, they've got to front it up at school. They can't very well say, oh, I got through 10 minutes through this and my mum and dad said no and switched it off. No, you've got to be the kid who toughed it out and watched the whole thing. But what do you do if you've only seen 10 minutes of an episode? Clearly you make up the rest of the episode because other kids may not have seen it either. And it kind of adds to the myth of it because all the other kids 
who haven't seen it will actually go, oh, yeah, I remember that bit. And then it kind of builds and then somebody else will add something into it and go, oh, but what about the bit when this happened, which clearly didn't happen either. But all the other kids will go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that bit as well. So you get this whole mythology building up around this TV program that no kid has actually seen. But everybody wants to say, oh, yeah, I was the one that I, they let me stop up and watch it. And I, I got to the end and it was horrible and all this gross stuff happened. It's kind of human nature. It's like nobody wants to be left out on this sort of thing. So it's like, right, well, everybody else seems to have watched it. I didn't. But you know what? I'm going to pretend I did. And just to make it a bit more convincing, I'm going to say, oh, by the way, what about this bit? And like, and hope that nobody else has seen it. And then it's just like this kind of whole sort of mass delusion. You've got a whole bunch of people all adding to this episode that never existed. So I can see why that, especially in kind of kids' playgrounds, I can see why that builds up. Definitely. Before we get on to why people think the movie completely vanished and how this actually was achieved, I'm just going to discuss something else very briefly before we move forward. So. A lot of people have been discussing like the key scenes from Shazam and there's discussion of something about a gumball scene and then people have figured out that they're talking about a scene from a movie called Bedtime Story starring Adam Sandler. So I was like, okay, I'm, I not, I've not heard of this Adam Sandler movie, so I'm just going to look it up. This movie came out in 2008, which then makes it even super interesting if people are remembering a scene that happened in a much later movie. So that, that's quite interesting. So this user then goes on to say, the fact that the gumball scene is lifted directly from another film is very interesting and perhaps shines a light on the true cause of the Shazam Mandela effect. It has struck me before that a lot of the common elements people claim to remember are very generic, suburban brother and sister lead, dead or divorced parent, bully antagonists, etc., and could have been drawn from any number of largely forgettable movies. I would suggest that Shazam people remember is actually a composite of Kazam scenes from other films and generic tropes that people would expect from a children's movie of that time. I completely agree with that user. Yeah. And then somebody comes in and is in a reply to them and then says, um, no, lol, I've seen this movie, <laughs> unfortunately, dozens of times, and least in part because it was part of my job as a video store manager to watch films that customers claimed were damaged. There is literally not a single scene in the Sinbad Genie movie that compares to anything in Kazam at all. Literally not one other than them both featuring a genie. I am well aware this is the most convenient explanation for the people who never saw the movie, but they are so dissimilar as to be the equivalent of comparing Star Wars to Jaws, as yes, they were both movies from the 1970s. So... I wouldn't want him managing my video shop. Just remembering that sort of movie is like you're asking him for a particular movie and, and him giving you something that's completely the opposite to it. I mean, I don't want to go too hard on him, but that is such bullshit. And before I move forward on to talking about how the film vanished, um, I'm going to go back to the discussion of the child actors that allegedly starred in this. Now, all these child actors are famous. Mm. So there's big debate whether it was Jonathan Brandis or Jonathan Taylor Thomas that played the part of the brother in this film. I don't know. I think you'd know. I think you, you would just know. There would not be a debate over it. If, the, if everyone's so 100% certain that Sinbad was in this film, I don't think a very well-known 
child actor at the time that you you would know. Yeah, you would. And they're not particularly similar either. So I think you would know. I mean, they are both fairly recognisable child actors that appeared in quite a lot of stuff. So again, that could have added to the general mythology about it. So you can you can think about Jonathan Brandis or Jonathan Taylor Thompson as seen from any of the movies that they starred in and transpose it to this mythical Sinbad genie movie. But this whole kind of, oh no, I've seen it a dozen times, it's like, I'm sorry, mate, you haven't. And then with the female actresses in it, there was a suggestion of Thora Birch and all I can think of there is Hocus Pocus. People are just getting confused with that. But the main one people keep bringing up was it was Mara Wilson. So obviously she was well known for playing Matilda and also starred in a movie called A Simple Witch that contained magical elements. Then further more interesting was they there was a suggestion of the pair up of Mara Wilson and Matthew Lawrence. Now, of course, they played siblings in Mrs. Doubtfire in 1993. I was a huge fan of Mrs. Doubtfire. I still am. And I think I would have thought if I'd seen a movie with those two kids pairing up again, I would have definitely watched it because Mara Wilson was someone's career who I followed as a child because she was one of my favourite child actresses back then because I loved Matilda and Mrs Doubtfire. I remember in between those movies, she did Miracle on 34th Street and then she did a few movies after. So there's just no way that these actors would have starred in this film because I would have known about it. That's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I think the explanation where people are taking generic movie plots from other movies and sticking them together is a pretty convincing explanation to me because there's so much content out there. There are so many movies and people watch movies over and over again and maybe don't concentrate on them all the time because they're on in the background or something's going off and stuff. And people can kind of see bits of movies and then think, oh yeah, it was that movie. And they're remembering the scene but for some reason they remember it in the wrong movie or they're remembering the wrong actors or they're remembering the wrong sequence of events. And that's the sort of thing, you know, when there's when there's lots of stuff going on, it's fine to forget bits of movies. It's very strange that particular sequences of lots of different movies are all glued together in this plot. But I understand that all the things they're remembering about this Sinbad Genie movie, they are very generic movie tropes you know like the the sort of dysfunctional family and the sort of brother and sister relationship and all that sort of stuff these things happen in so many movies that it's quite easy to think that you've seen this particular trope or scene or bunch of actors in a completely different movie so i completely get that but for people to latch onto it and defend it as vociferously as they have done is quite strange because this doesn't seem to have transferred itself to any other fake movie. This is the one where everybody seems to say, no, this isn't the fake movie. We can prove that it exists. But at the same time, they can't prove that it exists because there's no record of it anywhere, which is really, really odd. Okay, so why doesn't this film not exist in any physical format or in any public records 
Well, this Reddit user has their own explanation, and it is the same Reddit user that debated against the rational explanation previously. I don't know how much detail I want to provide because I feel that after nearly five years of chasing this mystery down, I am really close to solving it. This is a really good, like, opener to this whole post because it's like, okay, this guy might have the answers. Yeah. Sinbad is a great guy and is recovering from a stroke, so I want to make sure everyone knows that in all of my very real research and investigation over the years, I have never found anything that implicates him in anything shady or illegal. If he is hiding something, it's probably because he has a damn good reason to, but he insists he was never involved with this film. So just on a side note, Sinbad has cracked a few jokes about uh, his involvement in Shazam. There was uh, one interview where he claimed that he was addicted to crack at the time and he was he did the movie just to get crack money and was so ashamed of it. So he made sure that he got the government to take out all the copies of the film ever existence like the government would um, come into people's houses at night and get rid of VHS tapes and it's, it's like if you just type it in on YouTube you'll be able to see that clip which you know again he's just kind of yeah. in, in, good, in good humor about yeah, it so absolutely. that's what um, Reddit yeah. user referring to so back to him that said what I have been able to dig up suggests that the VHS tape people remember was never finished or meant to be released and that it only found its way into a few hundred locations via a wholesale distributor called MVC, based out of Utah in the United States. There may have been other distributors as well, but it was something available to video store rental outlets and not a tape that was available to the general public. The reason that there are no tapes out in the wild anymore appears to be an issue related to organised crime, the Bon and their crime family, Noel C. Bloom, and the company Family Home Entertainment. If this theory is true, there was something in that tape that could be used as evidence to convict a member of the family, and it was in the best interest of the mob to just go out and try to recover the copies from rental outlets using a copy of the sales list from the distributor. They wouldn't have to harm anyone, just rent the movie and never bring it back, have their VCR accidentally destroy it, or offer to purchase it from the rental outlets for an inflated offer you can't refuse price. The pandemic has put a dampener on my continuing investigation since I live on an island and can't really travel as much as I need for me to wrap this up, but I am reasonably confident that this may prove to be the answer to this mystery. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's great. I, 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 if that was the reason, I would love... Part of me would love that to be true, that they've gone around taking all the VHS copies of it out of existence just by renting them and then never giving them back. Somebody would have kept one of these back. I know how video rental places work. Somebody's going to have one under the counter. Somebody will have taken one away. They cannot erase every single copy of this movie. Something is going to be kicking about somewhere. And if it was, that person would be going, hey, guess what? I've got a copy of Shazam. Anybody want to watch it? And to to suggest that FHE, so I think it's Family Home Entertainment in the States, is in somehow in cahoots with organised crime, that seems a bit of a stretch to me. I mean, yeah, I'm always a little bit wary of labels, certainly the States video labels that are just completely focused on family-oriented stuff because generally... 
when you get Americans and family-oriented entertainment, there's usually something very dodgy going on in the background. But in this case, it's a great story, but I am really struggling to find any sort of reality at play here. It's, you know, it's it'd be a great movie. I just don't think, like with a lot of conspiracy theories, it would take an awful lot of organisation and an awful lot of good fortune and a whole load of people who were all pulling in the same direction to make it work. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of human beings are absolutely fucking stupid and makes mistakes. So I don't see how they could have pulled it off. And if this was just a very specific video rental tape, how does it explain people's memories of seeing it on the TV, yeah. seeing a trailer on Nickelodeon, yeah. seeing a preview in the cinema? And none of it really adds up. And it's it's so strange. And that's what just makes this mystery even deeper and more interesting. Yeah. Also, um, if, you, if you're looking at a tape in a video shop, to get rid of it, you've got to be the first guy to rent that tape the minute it goes into the video shop. Otherwise, somebody's going to get in before you. So you've got all these organised crime folks say, right, the minute it lands in the video shop, we've got we've got to be outside ready. As soon as they put it on the shelf, we're renting that tape. And then there's a spate of places in Utah. It's like, oh, it's damaged. It's like, oh, we, we had a problem with the tape. You know, let's give you some money. It's, it's, a, it, <laughs> it's an entertaining tale. And if it does turn out to be true, I will quite happily hold my hands up and say, I was too cynical to believe all of this in the first instance and I was wrong. But I do suspect that this is not going to turn out to be true. Yeah, absolutely. And why would it just only go to one video store? Why <laughs> Why wouldn't it go, you know, across yeah. the country, yeah. you know, even across the world? It, mm. make, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. But I'm guessing this movie never crossed the waters over to the UK because there just doesn't seem to be much out there about it coming from the UK. Also, by now, if anybody had a VHS copy of it, surely somebody would have stuck it on YouTube by now. Oh, definitely. And that's the thing. And some people think that people that do have copies of it, it may just be kind of, sitting in a dusty attic amongst a load of other VHS tapes and they, people haven't realised, like, what a goldmine they're sitting on. But, again, no, I just... You would know of this Mandala effect by now, but, yeah. And my final piece from Reddit that I'm going to read again goes, it wouldn't be hard if, and I'm just saying it, Disney wanted to disappear a movie in 1994. It wouldn't be that hard. This was before the internet was really a thing. We're talking the dawn of dial-up, 56K, you've got mail days. If for any reason a major studio like Disney, a mega god among media, wanted to make it like it never happened, you bet your buttons those NDAs flew out of the door faster than you can say faux pas. I've seen Disney throw recalls on VHS tapes after they've only just hit shelves before. It happened with the rescuers. Now, that is because there was literally a naked woman in shot. Yes. It was an animated joke. I mean, that definitely happened. And as soon as people were pausing the movie and seeing that, of course that movie was going to get recalled. You, you, yeah, I mean, yeah. and then obviously on re-release now, if you watch it on Disney Plus or on DVD or Blu-ray, you know, you're not going to see that image. But that did happen. 
So it may have been with this film, in which case it could have simply not made it to the internet. I slipped through that little crack in time, like so many action figure accessories never to be seen again. And then someone's response is, what's more likely, Disney going to great lengths to cover up the ex entire existence of a random cheesy 90s movie with a stand-up comedian as a mythical creature, or people having faulty memories with Simbad 90s events and Kazam? What do you think was in Shazam? CIA chemical warfare documents? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It all boils down to why would Disney bury this movie to the point where it doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, there are movies that studios are quite embarrassed of, but they don't just destroy them. I mean, there are numerous examples of flops and disasters from major studios that didn't really get the push that they wanted and the studio kind of would rather forget them. But it doesn't mean that they don't exist. They are still out there. They just haven't got the fanfare that their more fated product gets. You know, you've got things like um, uh, Heaven's Gate, the sort of Michael Chimino film. I mean, Warner Brothers thought that was a disaster when it came out and kind of, I mean, they didn't try to bury it, but they knew that they had a flop on their hands and just tried to get it out of there and just forget it ever happened. I mean, it's been reevaluated since, and people think it's a pretty good movie. I still think it's a piece of crap, but you know that's my opinion on it. But again, it's it's something that studios just don't do. I mean, they've got money behind it, and even the crap stuff will make them some money eventually in certain markets. So the fact that Disney took one look at this Sinbad movie and said, "Right, okay, just destroy it," like what what what's, what's the benefit in that? Because it can still be out there. Eventually, it'll turn up on TV. They'll make some money from sort of residuals on showing it on various TV channels around the world because people need to program stuff. You know, not everything that comes on TV is a classic. If you look at some of the satellite channels, if you look at some of the ITV spin-off channels, I mean, some of the movies they program on there, it's like you watch a movie and then you think, yeah, this is terrible, but they keep programming it over and over. So there's a there's a market for just filling time with movies. So I don't understand why Disney would have taken a look at this movie and gone, this is completely unreleasable anywhere. Let's just let's not just bury it. Let's destroy all the available prints as well. It it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No, especially when you think about how many movies Disney have produced over the years some quite cheesy bad tv movies for yeah. disney channel there's no reason why if this was a real thing that this wouldn't be on disney plus by now if this actually existed even if it was a bad movie so it, it just makes no sense and then of course you know they would have the option never to re-release it like they have with song of the south yeah that is a movie that for example that i've never seen i'm aware of i've seen the odd clip but I know Disney are never going to release it because it's kind of something they're very ashamed of now. But we know it exists. We know the song from it. The song yep. is still very much used across Disney media in the Disney parks where, where there's even a ride based on it. We know it exists, but they're not going to re-release it. But with this, they've just completely eradicated it from human existence. And it, it just makes no sense. And I'm going to quote Simbad himself now on uh, Twitter, which was back in 2016. And he says, 
Have you noticed no one my age has seen this so-called Sinbad Genie movie? Only you people who were kids in the 90s, the young mind. Yeah, I think Sinbad has got it down pat there. He's pointing out the fact that there's a specific collective memory which thinks this movie existed. And whereas there's nothing inherently wrong with that, and it's nice to have flights of fantasy about certain things, this has grown arms and legs. I mean, there are people who are dredging up conspiracy theories as, as to why we can't see this movie and to and why, why it was so subversive in some ways that it had to be wiped off the face of the earth. And it makes for a good story. But unfortunately, life is a lot more bland than that. There's a more boring explanation. And the boring explanation is that this movie just never existed. Oh, absolutely. And Sinbad just takes it in good fun because on April Fool's Day of 2017, a clip of Shazam did appear on the internet. Now, this was uh, from a site called College Humour, and there is a clip which is intercut with very brief moments of 90s commercials as well, so as if it's like someone's discovered it on a um, tape, you know, taped VHS. Yeah. And basically, I think the writers of the skit have kind of taken all the elements from that pe- from Reddit, what people have remembered, and incorporated it all into this this one joke and Sinbad's great in it and you watch it and you think do you know what he would have made a really good genie if this was genuinely real and if you look out in the background apparently there is a newspaper that says about Mandela's death in it as listed I think in the 80s and there's some other things in the background that only existed after the 90s so it's really like just playing with people and it's so funny and it's, it's great. It is great. So um, if you just type that into YouTube, College Humour, Sinbad, Shazam, anything like that, it'll come up and it is definitely worth seeing. Now, as I say, this Mandela effect has been around for a long, long time and I'm kind of new coming to it. I'm, I can't really explain why. The only thing that really did screw with my head when I first heard about it was... I honestly thought I'd imagined that there was a genie movie because I can remember the line in Scary Movie about Shaq and his acting and for a moment, and I remember seeing the poster of the purple background, Shaq with his arms crossed and the kids below him on the poster, and I thought, oh my God, did this movie just not exist? I swear there was a genie movie out there with Shaq. And of course, to my relief, that movie does exist, but it's this whole other conspiracy. So I did have a moment with it when I first heard about it. Yeah, this is the most insane Mandela effect. I think we have scratched the surface. You know, I've tried to give examples of different people's uh, views on it and experiences with it and explanations for it. But there's just so much out there. Reddit has a whole forum, not even just dedicated to the Mandela effect, dedicated to Shazam. So (laughs) it is worth checking out if you want to go deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole because... You can lose hours on it, but it's it's just something that I find utterly bewildering and interesting. I just I just can't stop thinking about it because it, I just don't understand how all these people have this collective false memory. And as you say, like yeah, there are things like the Star Wars Mandela effect, mm. the James Bond one about braces, and lots yeah. of different ones. But this, as you say, this takes it up a notch. And I haven't ever heard about like 
any other movies like to this degree that like it just completely vanished i believe that we potentially could be one of the first uk podcasts to even talk about this i may be wrong if you can find other ones send them my way because i really think this might be more of an american thing compared to the uk um but i believe darren does have a potential uk based mandela effect because i find them harder to discover this is a, a much further back Mandela effect. There was a series called Armchair Thriller, which screened in the late 70s and early 80s. And it had a very iconic title sequence in which there's an armchair and there's a shadow which slinks up to it and sits down. And then it was kind of a an episodic set of thrillers. And they were screened kind of midweek, just before the watershed, I think. But the interesting thing about the armchair thriller titles is that there was an alternate opening sequence which was never used as the titles and with good reason because it starts with an armchair and there's a lot of blood runs down it and then there's a screaming face that goes across the armchair and then there's kind of a, a it kind of blood raises up and then you get the titles and I think at the time it was probably an alternate title sequence of which they might have gone with. But I guess at the time, people were looking at that and thinking, this is a bit much for kind of 8, 8.30 on a weekday evening, because there were still watershed times, even back then. And what they did use it for, they'd chopped up some of the alternate title sequences and used it for a particular trailer, for one of the forthcoming thrillers. And people remember that because they screened it in the early afternoon and it caused a bit of a consternation because people were waiting for things like crown court or something like very gentle on a on a tuesday afternoon and then you got this screaming face going across an armchair and blood dripping down things and that caused a lot of trouble and i think that they pulled the advert not long after it but people remember this screaming face because they used it a lot with the holding slides as well so if you if you you know if it was the next programme, there was a still shot of the armchair with the face going down it. And that was used as the coming next slide. But people seem to remember that sort of alternate sequence as the actual title sequence, which was never the case. They never used it. It was always the shadow going up the armchair. Because I've got the box set as well, because I'm a big fan of armchair thrill. They were kind of quite low budget and a little bit creaky, but I still have a lot of affection for them and every single episode starts with the shadow on the armchair there's no blood there's no screaming face but there are people out there that say oh i remember this starting and i remember the title sequence clearly with the armchair and the blood and the face and like and it sent me screaming from the room and i couldn't watch it and it, it gave me nightmares it's not as widespread as kazam but these things do happen and it's interesting that when people certainly when people see something that scared them it kind of warps the memory of why it scared them in the first place and in armchair thriller's case they must have seen that advert with the face but then thought it was the title sequence which is it's understandable but it's wrong but there are people out there that say, oh, yeah, I remember this. This was terrifying. I couldn't watch it. I heard, you know, As soon as I heard the sort of music that it was about to come on, I would look away. 
but it was like well no that that never happened it wasn't the title sequence and they may have at some point thought that the alternate stuff was going to go in there and if you play the theme tune across the alternate sequence it does fit really well so my feeling is that it was probably on the table at some point as to be the opening titles but at some point as well i reckon somebody took one look at it and thought we can't use that that's just too warped because even now i mean you can find it on youtube and it doesn't really fit the tone of the program because it's an armchair soaked in blood and a red screaming face it's like no i mean that's that's pretty nightmarish imagery um and now i've seen it enough times where i just think well it's a little bit silly now because i've seen it to the, the that extent but when i was a kid i mean that was that was a completely different ball game i really did not like the sort of even just the holding slide where it was just it wasn't a moving thing it was just a picture of the armchair with the face going across it and that was enough to put me off because i was kind of not wanting to see that i liked the thriller element of it but i didn't want to see the picture before the start of it so i was kind of watching through my fingers and then if it was knowing that it had gone and the program was starting it was fine but yeah again it's i think trauma especially sort of childhood trauma tends to warp people's experience of like how they how they came across something and in that sequence i think yeah people people don't remember the shadow as much because whereas it's quite an iconic thing and it's quite clever it doesn't have the visceral impact of the bloody face and everybody remembers how horrible the bloody face was and nobody really remembers like oh that's quite clever that they've got the shadow sitting down it's a very minor uk version of the bandella effect but it's one that um, i've had a quick look into and people do still remember it incorrectly to just say you know yeah i remember the blood coming down the armchair it's like well you don't from the titles it was it was used in the advert once also people said that the bloody armchair was the reason that the watershed got moved from 7 p.m to 9 p.m i don't believe that for a second because the advert was used very briefly it was taken off i think fairly quickly and it wasn't screened at that time of day anyway so the whole thing about the red armchair being the cause of the watershed being moved two hours later again it's a nice story but i don't think there's any truth in that whatsoever because the content of the program the program still went out at kind of 8 eight thirty in the evening so just because you've got this kind of slightly disturbing imagery being the cause of an entire tranche of programs being shifted later into the evening so kids couldn't see them i don't buy that at all again it's a nice tale to tell but there's no real truth in it yeah and i think that happens a lot with these mandala effects they just build and build and build and they're extremely fascinating and they are a bit of an escapism from reality from time to time but there's always going to be a logical explanation and people are just taking one element of something an element of something else and it's that whole you know just adding up too much but yeah i really enjoyed your story about armchair thriller so that's uh, quite interesting how something from an advert stuck with people more so than the actual television show itself yeah i would recommend people go and check armchair thriller out because they are very dated but it's an interesting look into how 
episodic television was put together in the 70s and early 80s and some of them are pretty good actually one of them has got a very young ian mckellen in it and that's a really good one so it's got a really good twist at the end of it as well so so yeah if you can hunt them down i mean i think they are pretty much all on youtube i've got the box set surprise surprise but i think a lot of them are on youtube and what they lack in budget i think they make up for in atmosphere and uh, there's a very famous episode where there's a jemima shaw uh, mystery with something called the black nun which is a nun with no face everybody of a certain age remembers the black nun if you google black nun uh, there's gonna be there's gonna be the sequence i mean now it's not gonna terrify anybody but i remember seeing this as a kid and i absolutely shit myself at that episode but now modern audiences are gonna look at it and just think oh that's just so cheesy but to a kind of a, a young kid watching this with the lights dimmed it freaked me out something chronic at the time i know it's ridiculous now so that's interesting that you mentioned that i had no connection with armchair thriller or the black nun but i will tell you a story here i come from wales and when you're a kid in wales you get to go on a trip to either a place called langradog or lamplin which are kind of these adventure camp places um it's like your first sort of time away from home and you're with your school friends and there's lots of activities to do there and fun stuff as well, like discos and all that. But from an early age in primary school, you always get informed that if you go to one of these places, the Black Nun haunts it. And there was like carvings on the bed saying the Black Nun will get you. And again, it's one of those friend of a friend stories that, you know, keeps changing depending on who you talk to. And some people say that the um, kind of camp counsellors or whatever. I know I'm sounding very US here, very <laughs> horror movie, but I'm not sure what to call them, like the sort of warden people that yeah. run the place. They they will like come into your room at night and dress up as the Black Nun. So that is my understanding of the Black Nun. So I'm wondering if this whole concept came from Armchair Thriller. Possibly. And influenced yeah. this, yeah. Or, or maybe <laughs> the other way around. Maybe they t- took that kind of legend and stuck it into the mystery. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird how things kind of come back around. We started on the Mandela Effect, we're talking about the Black Nun. Yeah, so from genies to Black Nuns, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If there's any other Mandela Effects you'd like us to talk about on this podcast, especially obscure ones, please let us know because we love talking about them. I'd love to know if you guys have any remembrance of Shazam. I, I just need to know if it was like anything that was kind of discussed in the UK back in the day, or if it's had any influence over here. And of course, let's not forget the Shaq genie masterpiece, Kazam, that I think gets overshadowed now by this Mandela effect. If you've seen Kazam, let us know your thoughts on that as well. Thank you so much for listening to this lengthy discussion. If you've made it this far, I applaud you. Yeah, yeah. Mighty efforts to those people who stuck with us up to this point in time. Thank you. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for this longer than usual episode of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Coming next, episode 62, obviously. And we're going to continue into our investigation of the Die Hard franchise, which means we are now at... Die Hard 4.0. So this is one of the more modern Die Hard movies from the 2000s decade. 
It'll be a first viewing for me. I've loved the first three movies. I'm not going to hold high expectations for this one. I'm going to go with it and see how I get on. Yep, I'm saving my views on Die Hard 4 until the episode. And who knows, maybe I've softened over the years. So to find out whether that's true or not, tune in next time. Until then, stay safe everybody and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.